so we we can consider what we call meditation and uh, uh, can't be emphasized too many times that it's not separate and it's not the same as daily life it's it's a kind of continuation on the spectrum of karma of dealing of um, skillful karma mental karma skillful mental karma and it's in meditation that you can take it to the ending of mental karma that's that's where it's different you know you can actually I mean obviously in daily life you can end particular actions that you do like harmful actions unskillful actions you can stop them what meditation can do or the process of meditation can take you into the roots of how where those unskillful or unnecessary or unhelpful formations occur at the roots of the mind um, and you can see they arise from certain wrong views or um, assumptions that get bound in to how the mind operates so as meditators you probably get a sense of, of mind and what mind is and it's a much deeper and richer and sometimes more confusing experience than the idea of the mind just being some kind of thinking machine that you turn on or feedback loops of thoughts and emotions you as you as you meditate you can recognize how the mind can sometimes feel very solid or broad or spacious or vibrant or stale or stagnant you know these are qualities that I'm sh- sure you'll all um, recognize you know and how you very much appreciate it when the mind feels pleasantly grounded spacious bright and those are not thoughts they're not cognitive they're really impressions that that come to us when we sit in meditation the mind is very frantic and spinning what is this what are we actually referring to certainly it can contain thoughts and emotions but what what are those thoughts and emotions riding on and when a thought ceases you haven't you know it's not like you've completely lost consciousness so you begin to sense the mind I would say one one helpful reference for me is the mind is a kind of an energy field subtle energy field um, that can be like, rather like we use the image of water to be stirred up kinds of vortexes vortices and currents in it can be um, like a torrent churning it could be like a lake it can, it can ripple um, it can go stagnant and stale it's not ventilated uh, it can be channeled in all kinds of directions it can pick up a current and move towards that with great force it can meander and trickle (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm using poetic terms because sometimes poetic terms may help give one a kind of a different way of appreciating experience Mm. so you know these are just words aren't they but you get what what meets the experience and if we just start to you know use words and concepts as guides rather than as messages of ultimate reality but just as as guides and triggers to to uh, awaken us to get us to sense things differently I think there's a skill in that and, and because of verbal conditioning because of the Vajisankara we tend to experience things in terms of what the way we think we try to experience things in terms of the way we think in terms of our language so when your language structure is uh, you know is set on certain courses you know such as the mind as a machine that you turn on and off just it's a thought machine then you know unconsciously one operates on that way or tries to operate from that way and then it doesn't quite work um, so I personally find things like fields and rivers and ponds and um, strange attractors chaos theory strange attractors give me more of a oh yeah that's, that's what it feels like it's certainly a strange attractor <laughs> so a strange attractor in chaos theory is a kind of um, it helps to define the way that water does operate like it suddenly puddles and pools or the way that wind kind of forms particular patterns it's attracted into particular patterns so if these attractive patterns exist in some kind of virtual reality and the water picks it up and moves in that particular way you see how, how anyway that's it's, it's a little <laughs> thing of mine I rather enjoy <laughs> uh, never mind so essentially if we see the mind also has got a kind of like a, almost like a substance like a, a, an Im- like a substance um, even though it's imma- we can say it's immaterial it's not material like form but it definitely has sort of formative tendencies so then we think you know we think in terms of um, getting the mind soft or getting it feeling solid um, so, so those, those, are, those are words that refer to as if it had some form solid, soft uh, smoothing out the rough edges if it's all broken and fragmented helping to heal it into a wholeness those are all metaphors that, that can be very useful in meditation and they do give us this impression of the mind being like a kind of a substance that is broken up or Confused and needs to be smoothed and um, and brought back into a wholeness. And even you know that kind of language, however literal, has a usefulness to it in meditation. That's all we want to know, really. What works, not what is, because words aren't going to do it anyway. So this process of, uh, if we refer to the mind in this way, then the process of samatha, you know, whether you, however you conceive that, becomes relevant. Just to make the mind as a substance feel pleasant, buoyant, good. Yeah. 
like a, like a pleasant form unconstricted so we can see every, everything that's talked about in terms of samatha really is, is, operates in that way the two main channels or main processes that that's done through one is the body process which, te- which leads towards what are called jhana and is bringing the mental, the mind body in touch with the bot, with the the physical body's energy body. Kaya, kaya sankara. So this kind of energy body, which you can feel, giving you the sense of vibrancy or stagnation or constriction or warmth. You know, so also to consider the body, just as you see, the mind is not quite immaterial. The body is certainly not quite material it's they're both they have their aspects so where they meet you come into something like an energy form it's called a subtle in the suttas it's referred to as a subtle body somewhere in the book of the fours you'll see that mentioned a subtle body and the subtle body is as the mind the mental form or the mental body and the and the physical body sort of starts a blend and come together you get this feeling of a very grounded awareness that uh, um, feels as if it's got some form to it and you can ex- you can expand it and extend it you can make it very wide and spacious you can make it very firm determined so when within that there's a there's a whole centering effect and one settles into that the breathing in and out is the classic theme that that brings that around because it's because it unites the body energy and the mental energy it has breathing in and out is affected by and affects the emotions and the psychology we can really as we know if you really can allow a breath to take place there's a whole loosening up of one's urgency programs, one's demand programs, one's control programs, one's um, indifference programs you know those, those patterns start to loosen up, break up and you come into something that feels very more assured, centred, intimate and, and happy pleasant mm-hmm. so it has psychological effects and physical effects and some of these are quite long term in, in doing that you begin to understand particular programs that you weren't really aware of how sort of a, a sense of having to hold things together you know that well oh, I didn't realise I was doing that and, oh can I let it go you know feeling of slightly contracted or withdrawn parts of your body that feel rather closed you didn't even know were felt closed because they they weren't open enough to tell you they were closed <laughs> You know, numb stuff doesn't speak, so you don't notice it's because <laughs> it can't give you any signals. Till so you start to sweep around, and you feel that's funny. I can't feel my breathing there. I can't feel any energy there. And you start to so. This is a process of um, called the outlined in the first tetrad of the Anapanasati Sutta, which is steadying, smoothing um, calming the bodily formation 
Gunimri. This has its effect on the mind. So, as it said, when the when there's a sense of rapture, the body feels at ease. When the body is at ease, the mind is happy. When the mind is happy, it moves into concentration. It concentrates. You don't you don't concentrate it. It concentrates you. <laughs> it's got a gravity. It pulls in. Yeah. So that's again back to that one of those first readings we did on the Chaitanya Sutta, the causal process of Dhamma, which you can see many, many examples of in in the Nikayas. Mm-hmm. So this is the Samatha. And you can also do Samatha through Metta, which is more directly working on the heart base and it has a similar feature to it and it has this suffusive quality so with samatha the idea is you get a a kind of centering and then you start to spread it through your whole body you know from say if you feel some sense of stability around a place in your chest or your abdomen where it feels peaceful then you kind of spread that through the whole body so it's said in the sutta there is not one part of one's body that is not suffused, drenched, pervaded with this happiness so it's a suffusive spreading you centre, you open, you widen, you spread, you suffuse so it is with the practices of kindness and compassion you find one thing that you can feel some kindness (laughs) for some goodwill towards some compassion for yourself and others and you, then you start to spread it once you get the flavour of it you feel the sweetness of that and the ease of that and the balance of that how it, then you can alter your view you get less judgmental you get more compassionate towards others compassionate towards yourself whatever I'm not going to keep waving the cudgel you know that's one thing I can do so it's not necessarily coming up with a whole lot of affirmative statements but laying down the darts the the cudgels um, cleaning out any kind of sourness or guilt in the mind Mm. regret just don't do that don't need to do that so you this is the way you spread that sense of goodwill through the you might say the psycho-emotional sphere and again that leads to um, some that's the sum of the process so essentially what, what's being talked about in this is you, you're finding a kind of place or a, a way in which this substance of mind you know this strange energetic substance of mind finds stillness and harmony and, and then you know, so it becomes something palpable this is the process of samatha and the process of vipassana is when you've got something that has this quality to it it's got an almost palpable quality to it you start to investigate it what makes this up what's this dependent on supported by certain intentionality 
there's, there's a certain kind of um, energy that's holding it sustaining it mm. wholesome bright energy sustaining it yeah. it has a certain span you know we're attentive to it there's an attention span mm. and these energies can then these particular these sankharas which is wholesome skillful sankharas can be understood as it's just this it's just something that's been brought into being it's a form that's been, been generated it's a form that's been it's rather like we've taken a handful of space and sort of formed it up in order to come out of the tangle and then we see also this is just a, a form and it's, you see the basis of, of what generates which is in, intentionality volition, a certain motivating drive to generate, to sustain, to hold, to be happy, to be solid, to feel comfortable, to feel clear, you know, these are not necessarily intellectual, they're they're kind of emotional um, inclinations that we all have to to find something we feel good about, feel good in, to have got away from things we feel confused and tangled up by. So these two drives Bhava, the drive to be, have something, be in something, the drive to get away from something. When one sees those drives themselves as for what they are, there's an ability to step out of that. And then there's a release. This, you know, so this is the process of vipassana and the, the inclinations that cause that possibility of release are one, one first was able to step back doesn't mean to go somewhere else it means like you're looking at something close up you're really interested in it and you step back and look at it in perspective oh uh-huh look at that yeah look how you know how interested I am in that or and then you you know when you just give that you lift off an inch you might say from that sense of being recognizing this has come into be it will pass away you know a recognition like that is a discern is a wisdom recognition so it's kind of yeah so you just that cause you just to lift off a little if you like emotionally lift off hmm? so that's detachment and then from that you, you see the whole thing in a little more cooler dispassionate light and so as that process continues you get the sense of the, the cease, cessation um, of this particular inclination it's all a little bit re- re- refined perhaps and we may need to revisit those topics time and time again but from the, the dispassion of just things just like this, it's just another, it's just a happy, pleasant state that has been brought into being. I've spent some time gathering that up, you know, in, a, in due course of time I'll come out of that, you know, so there it is. 
it's difficult it's not negative but it's a sense of perspective on it um, one doesn't then buy into it one doesn't bond to it one doesn't uh, say wow this is me I finally found my true nature <laughs> I am peace love and happiness <laughs> it's my true nature <laughs> saying no no I'm in peace love and happiness that's a great place to be <laughs> but I can also it's not mine <laughs> everybody, somebody else, everybody else can have it and actually to, even to enter that to get to that place quite a lot of one's com- complexities of one's psychology will have already been you know disbanded or put aside so there's much less me in it um, and then there's the final little bit of yeah, I, I rather like this to be frank about it <laughs> I, I don't want to go back I don't want to go to school again I don't want to go to work that's all <laughs> so, okay right, now that very hanging on there's, there's a topic that's going to cause some stress isn't there, so is it possible to just right now relax that that little hook yeah, so that's dispassion and ceasing and what's ceasing is this um, this, this bhava vibhava which is kind of a wanting to be wanting to make, wanting to have with the ceasing of that is the abandonment of the sense of being something being a something that has to be a something <laughs> Or being a something that has to get out of a something, the me sense sort of evaporates. Abandonment. That's the process of insight. Yeah. Maybe these words don't mean much, or they might strike a few chords. You probably heard them touched in on of words of a similar nature in many discourses from your teachers. And that's a repeated refrain. You're, we've comes across in these suttas detachment or seclusion dispassion, cessation, abandonment so graduated sequence of insight insight is this it's this graduated process just as samatha is graduated in terms of, of jhana then vipassana is graduated in terms of these particular terms detachment, dispassion, cessation, abandonment so if one's got some detachment, that's, that's insight. It means we see that this sense of whatever is something that I don't have to be completely glued to or, or um, tra- entranced by as if one can lift, one can step back from it. Naturally, the first inclination is to step back from what is unpleasant. <laughs> And sometimes that stepping back is not really stepping back. It's it's more like a, um, want to switch the channel. So uh, it's trying to skip territory. And yeah, okay. Sometimes that's advisable. Just to, just to, can't handle this. Go somewhere else. Yeah. That that's considered uh, not a disgrace. Withdrawal with honour. <laughs> But uh, you know, ideally, you build up the resources through summer to, to make it possible to be in some of the more difficult 
places with a lot more ballast, a lot more, you know, stuff on your side, a lot more peacefulness, a lot more substance. So you've got some gravity. Therefore, the, the stuff, the emotions, doesn't throw you around so much because you've got a bit more ballast. The mind's got some more body in it, so it doesn't quite get flung hither and thither by uh, thoughts and emotions or energy states, energy states steady. So this is where you use energy, energy as, a, as something that can provide you with the keel, with some, some ground. So I think this reference to the mind as, as, an, energy, as an energy form is useful because otherwise we tend to try to, to come up with compensating emotions or perhaps compensating thoughts. We counsel ourselves. No. don't be this, be that don't worry about this, you'll be alright look on the bright side um, let go, you know and it's all, yeah <laughs> but it, it, it's, uh, it doesn't quite do the it doesn't go very deep one of the suttas it talks about this particular what's called manosanchetana which is the, just the volition where it's just occurring through the, the intellect the thinking mind so it's the thinking mind's volition, which says, I'll do this, I'll do that. Don't be this, don't be that. No. Which is often what we try to operate through. And he says, this is like a weak man with two big strong men grabbing hold of him. One by each arm, they drag him towards a charcoal pit. Buddha was used some powerful language. He said, so this little weak fellow is sort of struggling and kicking and thrashing around because he doesn't want to get thrown in the pit but the two strong men are dragging him to the pit <laughs> the two strong men are called craving and ignorance <laughs> so you're thinking I don't want to do this I'm not doing that I've got the meanwhile <laughs> so that's how far one's one's, <laughs> one's thinking and ideas go when you got you know you realise it's a pretty flimsy little froth on top of the big beast underneath <laughs> uh. mm. that's why we meditate we don't just philosophize <coughs> so you know when you know so the idea is that you bring these two faculties together samatha and vipassana these are not distinct meditation techniques I wouldn't say although they can be hived off into such which I think is rather sad because then you get contending camps as it were but they're really ways in which the mind operates you know we, we do we can settle something in us wants to settle and feel something in us wants to check things out it's just like that no, I don't think anybody's mind operates in one way alone so this is just some of those and Vipassana and if your mind tends to be something that, that just kind of moves towards stasis and settles then you need to encourage the inquiring investigating attitude of what's this about if your mind tends to be something that's more investigative rather than settling 
then you maybe need to develop the sum of the quality of just being able to sit and not you know and let things go still be simple mm. be patient <coughs> down downshift the gearing of the mind of the thinking mind think in terms of a year of meditation rather than 45 minutes <laughs> think of a lifetime of meditation where during the lifetime you've learned there's a little bit of space between each thought <laughs> you gear it down so it's something you can, you can do you know and then you feel a sense of ah oh, great because you need for summer you need to get the sense of oh yeah the encouragement that's how you get the, the, the feeling of wanting to do more of it because you get, <coughs> get some encouragement in, in realising um, um, results so a little bit so it's always to be appreciated it's that you know that, that skill in appreciating the little bit and making much of it that may be a, a knack we need to develop in meditation because we tend to you know one in all <laughs> I'd like to look at the the um, Sammanam Mundaka Sutta Seventy-eighth Sutta of the Majjhima Nikaya, and um, the outline it starts off with a dialogue between Panchakanga, who is a carpenter and a disciple of the Buddha, and Ugahamana, who is of another view. And Ugahamana says something that again sounds rather convincing at first. I describe individual endowed with four qualities as being consummate in what is skillful, foremost in what is skillful, an invincible contemplative attained to the highest attainments. Which four? There is a case where he does no evil action with his body, speaks no evil speech, resolves on no evil resolve, and maintains himself with no evil means of livelihood. So body, uh, speech, Evil resolve, resolve sankapa means one's, one's intention, one's, one's aim, one's kind of motivations are, are skillful. You always aim towards pure or good or, you know, so forth. And fourthly, with livelihood. So Panchakanga says, mm hmm, listens to that, and he says, I go and check this out with the Buddha. And the Buddha says, well, no. Says, <laughs> 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 so, because if this case, that were the case, then according to Ugahamana's word, a stupid baby boy, a little infant, lying on his back is consummate because he doesn't really do any unskillful deeds apart from maybe kick his legs a little bit. Doesn't speak an evil speech apart from maybe cry has no evil resolve except maybe to um, 
little little moodiness <laughs> and as far as livelihood he's not all his livelihood is just his mother's milk so you know he's a pretty skillful contemplative <laughs> he's modest in his needs doesn't do a lot of harm you know no evil resolves doesn't do a lot of bad doesn't gossip doesn't badmouth people <laughs> so he's obviously a supreme being and he says well you know but I wouldn't say that I would say that um, a skillful person is someone who knows an unskillful habit he knows what causes it he knows where it ceases and he knows how to make it cease or the sort of practice that brings around its ceasing he knows the unskillful and then he knows the skillful <clears throat> and then the Buddha goes through the um, different <coughs> aspects of skillfulness <coughs> So it talks about in two ways habits and resolves. We might see these as as two the two forms of sankara. One is when it's established, it's a set pattern, that's a habit. You know, you, it's a set program. You know, it's, it's running. And resolves are the generating new program or or, or sustaining a program. It's one aims in a particular. It's an active thing. So you get, if you like, the passive and the active. So there's unskillful ones and on both sides. <clears throat> also with this sutta, the Buddha I don't know, I've got it in this extract, but he does recognize that this little infant, although right now he's not committing a lot of harm, has the potential to do so as he grows up. He probably will, or he's got the potential to act in unskillful ways. So what are called latent tendencies or dormant tendencies, the Pali word is anutsya, Um, so this is if you like the storehouse that um, the Buddha would say you know is what one inherits from previous lives it's a kind of storehouse or we might say it's potential in all of us to act violently or to um, you know in these particular ways so this is so saying just because you're not feeling it right now doesn't mean you have the potential you're free from the potential to do so. So this is why we need to penetrate the mind from the, one might say, the voluntary side of, of where, where we're actually in control of it, we're doing what we want to do, and we're on top of it, to the more involuntary reflex aspects of what happens when we lose control 
or we get overwhelmed or we get freaked out by something suddenly all sorts of stuff happens when we're not quite ourselves anymore <coughs> the area of latent tendencies you know when things are going our way and people are nice and life's okay we can be quite sweet and happy and peaceful and wise and then suddenly you get a few <coughs> bad turns people are unpleasant life is difficult and then rather different sets of emotions and feelings come rising up uh, that you weren't aware of so the theme here is is the mind has different layers the sankara is a different uh, occurring different strata and for liberation you want to get right down to the bottom level stuff and um, clear that out so that it doesn't take you by surprise and you've probably been taken by surprise a few occasions and in meditation is rather like that suddenly you drop into something and it's um, it's got some vigor in it <laughs> you know so you get this kind of sense of different different layers more active stuff that's on top of the desktop than what's underneath it to use that model <clears throat> so when we come down to unskillful habits this can go these are these are structured programs and you want to get through to the, the roots of them and skillful, unskillful resolves now just put that piece on hold because I'd like you to listen a little to if you will to the um, passage from the lesser discourse on the lion's roar where you get an idea of what of one way, one way of looking at these different layers or different levels of the mind this is where the, so it's a discourse again Buddha is answering some questions <coughs> and basically mm. saying there are four kinds of clinging this gives you an idea of what the mind adheres to it to, and it gives you also a sense if you like of the of the geology of the mind the kind of structures first level is clinging to sense pleasure that is our minds naturally are drawn towards what we find the more pleasant aspects of what comes in through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue and body you know, we, we want more of that, we want to be with that we incline towards that so that's a pretty obvious level that we operate through uh, quite consciously and you know there's no one isn't doing anybody any harm with that there's nothing wrong with that it's just a rec- recognition of what a program is that's one layer of mind that's pretty evident next layer of mind is perhaps less evident but also um, <clears throat> takes place this is clinging to views now clinging to views here is, is kind of more fundamental dispositions views is, in this sense is not um, so much opinions as basic inclinations so where inclinations we want to be in something with something be more there you know we want so this is the view of being the inclination towards occupying taking filling up you know, taking over a space, filling it up, owning it, possessing it, being with it. And the opposite view is 
sadness, he wants to retract, avoid, disappear, find a hole somewhere, um, get you know, disappear from the spotlight. And we kind of oscillate between those two. We're in our kind of good state, then we move into opening and kind of flooding and taking that. And we don't feel so confident, we feel a bit, then we want to retract. You may notice this happened depending on your own proclivities. Even the way we conceive the goal is the goal to be some, the goal of, of awakening is it experience in more like a, a more open, um, luminous consciousness space, a being and presence and radiance, or is it disappearing down some hole of cessation? <laughs> is it deathlessness? which is one way of looking at it, which gives you a sense of being something, or is it cessation, which gives you the idea of being nothing. And these are, you know, and when we find ourselves with, that's, that's one way of looking at it, being and non-being, the way the mind um, structures things. What we want to get into, what we want to get out of, you want to get into a relationship, we want to get out of it. You want to get into a, a role or position, be somebody, and then we want to get out of it. Sometimes we want to get into it, but everybody else wants us to get out of it. <laughs> Get off the stage, you know. Shut up, go away. <laughs> Times we want to get out of it, everybody else wants to get into it. <laughs> go on, you can do it. <laughs> you take over. <laughs> so it goes like this, doesn't it? There's also another level which is called clinging to systems and observances. I think it's called rules and observances are called here. And it's um, means we tend to structure our lives. Clocks, bells, calendars, personal organizers. Yeah. We operate in this way, looking for the right, agreeable, acceptable mode of conduct fits um, tell me what to do yeah feel a bit nervous what am I supposed to do here what's the system what's the structure then once I know what it is then I can rebel against it <laughs> <laughs> say nobody tells me what to do <laughs> but I have to find out what it is I'm supposed to do so as I can say <laughs> so as I can rebel against it and I feel free <laughs> but the whole 
game of either, you know, as we see, rebellion and conformism are both swinging around this sense of we're still orienting around systems and rules and observances, mm-hmm. breaking them or conforming to them. So all this is a kind of clinging, is a sort of orientation or around these particular structures. The mind does structure systems, personal systems, intimate systems. This is what I like to do on my day off. Um, this is what I want. This is where I like to. The kind of routines that fit my life. Mm. where I like to organise my party, my circle Mm. so you know, mine operates in terms of these and then it operates in terms of a a self you know, which doesn't seem to be an operation at all it's just such a fundamental sense there's some basic centering quality there's some center to all this that, I, that can be referred to that organizes that receives impressions and that sends out messages mm-hmm. that's me mm-hmm. and in Buddha Dharma Buddha doesn't deny this experience but he calls it chitta or mind and uh, the mind, you know, um, feeding on experience, looking for it, pulling it in, organizing it, structuring it, sending out messages. So this is called mind, it's not called self, it's called mind. The the me sense hovers over it as the most continual familiar thing that there is. So this, the me sense is a kind of, of, uh, like a view that's looking for something that's the most continual thing going, most familiar thing going. Mm-hmm. So it starts off well, sense realm, you know, where I am. Now that changes. Well, how about, you know, being in or being out of? Or how about systems and rules? How about something that's really, you know, so- solid or familiar? And then underneath it, we find the most solid and familiar thing is the sense of me being in this so all of these are kind of different levels and the the deepest level is the me level which seems so how do you get past that who's going to get past it the language itself doesn't work so that you know the, the kind of process of meditation is to um, just to find a level of sensory involvement that feels comfortable you're not you know, pulled into it greedily, you're not averse to it you've got a sense of balance with the sensory world you've got a sense of balance in yourself, there's a sense of modesty and at the same time eagerness you know. so that helps to balance the being, non-being thing you're willing but you're not pushy um, and you've got some confidence you don't need to prove yourself like you, you know. and then the systems you just find there are things that just seem comfortable like five precepts seem just a comfortable sensible way to live that avoids harm damage eight precepts if you would like to do that you kind of simplify mm. 
and then the idea is you don't make those into things that you're dogmatic about like I'm now a pure being because <laughs> I got this and you know, it's just something you like to live with <coughs> and then you say well what works for me is to meditate several times a day or whatever you know so you get these kind of things that you don't take a stand on them so you're not avoiding these layers of the mind but you're just taking them out of being big issues that you make into a one makes into a kind of personal standpoint it gets dogmatic about so it's the clinging and it gives you a sense of the structures of the mind and the me sense itself is something you can't you're not fighting against as if I shouldn't be here and so this kind of idea of destroying your ego is a bit goes a bit awry at times because you need that jitta to give you this feeling of this doesn't work for me it doesn't work for me you know <coughs> then you can test it and practice it and start to examine it so the samatha thing makes the me sense gives it somewhere comfortable to land and then the vipassana process starts to see that that very landing place that the, that the me sense is hovering over itself is just um, ephemeral yeah. so when there isn't any place to land <laughs> the sense of needing a place to land and having a place to land both have to gradually fade there's so so an abandonment to finish off this little piece of exposition with the rest of this sutta the, we're back to the Samanamundaka sutta 78 so mm, what are unskillful habits unskillful bodily actions these you might say are the the, the resident programs the structures that are already in place we're not deliberately they're, they're running already we're not picking them up but they're they're dormant if you like or they're there um, unskillful verbal actions things we do more or less instinctively unskillful means of livelihood these are called unskillful habits what is the cause their cause is stated they're said to be mind cause what, which mind for the mind has many modes and permutation any mind with passion aversion or delusion this is the cause of unskillful habits so we start to look into some of these resident programs what's this supported by you know, what's, what's underneath this this is kind of the insight process start to feel it out that's the sum of the process insight process what is this what's, what's behind this what's keeping this here um, you know the Buddha passion aversion delusion we might look at things like anxiety well, some of our programs are just there to make us feel steady or secure some of those are there to kind of keep us protected keep up you know we're defensive um, some of them are there just be <laughs> <laughs> just, just <laughs> kind of delusion 
uh, you know, or how or some of them are manipulative, how to get what I want, how to get my way. So we get certain kind of unskillful habits. You know, if you don't do the things the way I want you to do, I'm going to be huffy and snuffy and unpleasant. So, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing can happen. We get miffed. Uh, you have know, a kind of miffable program. <laughs> you know, it feels unpleasant. You know? So where do these, because these are, these are habits, sometimes it's just the, the mind doesn't seem to know any other thing to do, you know, but get offended. It gets offended, it stays in that. Mm-hmm. It's a habit. Where do they cease without trace? It abandons the conduct. Abandons the wrong verbal conduct. So this, we might say this is where you're developing parami, you develop alternate channels to operate through so they don't um, they don't the structures can become unra- unraveled and what what's the practices that lead to that generates motivation desire motivation chanda endeavors arouses persistence stays with it upholds, develops his intentions for the sake of the non-arising of, uns- of evil unskillful qualities that have not yet arisen so you keep reviewing and looking into the basis of where I get edgy, where I get fearful where I get defensive, where I start to get um, you know, um, dogmatic small minded demanding hmm. What are skillful habits? Skillful bodily actions, skillful verbal actions, purity of livelihood. Caused by mind, which mind? Mind without passion, without aversion, without delusion. Their cessation too has been stated. There is the case where a monk is virtuous but not fashioned of virtue. A monk is virtuous but not fashioned of virtue. Now, this phrase really means something like it's just ordinary goodness what I call it ordinary goodness rather than you're wearing your goodness like it's your flash clothes you know I'm really good (laughs) here I'm doing my goodness bit you stink of it (laughs) so it's a sort of ordinary common sense goodness um, goodness that you're doing because it just feels comfortable that way Discerns as it actually is the awareness release and discernment release where skillful habits cease without trace. Skillful habits cease without trace. So it's not it's the, the habitual nature um, where the mind where you get the level of clinging to particular views or particular systems. You know, if this is right, everything else is wrong. Uh, so where does this clinging, the, where it becomes, a, you know, programs, where do they cease without trace? Awareness release and discernment release. So, chitta vimuti, awareness release, 
Panya Vimuti discernment release and these are two fruitions of Samatha and Vipassana Samatha is Chitta release or awareness release um, and, pan, and this Vipassana leads to discernment release and the idea is the two are required mm-hmm. so awareness release really deals with the sense of the if you like the substance of the mind remember this word awareness is just the translator's word for chitta chitta can also be translated as intent or mind yeah, heart even disposition um, so how is that released it's released from stagnant it's released from being stubborn it's released from being <coughs> stuck so we can use language most helpfully that refers to it in this way of like an energy substance a sticking or a jangle or a pushing force or demanding or retracting so it's that particular energy patterns that are relinquished the mind that feels smooth malleable pliable that's that's a samatha sense so in that one doesn't have to be habituated that you don't have to have all sorts of programs and strategies running because your mind like like a cat you know it doesn't it cannot it's got enough skill to know in the moment which way to go you don't have to have a, a little you know pathway or track it just bounce, it just jumps where it needs to be it doesn't jump it doesn't need to it's not now at six o'clock I'm going to do my bit now it's eight o'clock I do this on Thursdays I do this um, you know it's 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 get a feeling for um, what feels released what feels comfortable so it's more spontaneous that's awareness release discernment release deals with the insight into the um, attachment to the mind the sense of self essentially so this we might say is really the bottom line because of that that sense of me being a something then that very formative sense I am a something will always seek to have a something to orient around you know if I, if I am somebody then where am I if I am somebody then what should I do if I am something where's my standpoint you know so that kind of underlying view of, of notion of a self will always attract it's a strange attractor and always attract patterns and programs to it to be something, to be nothing, to be bright, to be strong, to be enlightened, to be unenlightened, to be whatever it is, you know. So it's, it's the kind of almost invisible attractor that gradually pulls all these patterns into place. So with the discernment release, there is no habit. Mm. then the Buddha talks of unskillful resolves being resolved on sensuality on ill will on harmfulness 
these are in the, another sutta the Davida Vitaka sutta which I think I've got here yeah on page 34 another exposition that we won't really explore in detail 19th Sutra of the Majjhima Nikaya Buddha starts off talking about the different kinds of unskillful thoughts or just watching his mind so thoughts involved with sensuality, with ill will, with harmfulness you can see these always lead to somewhere painful develop the other kinds of thoughts and from this basis of discernment the unwholesome and the unwholesome he begins to track a kind of a, a course of Dhamma um, yeah. and then he says well these are sankapas aims, resolves the second factor of the eightfold path some are sankapa, skillful resolves or, or attuned resolves you know, appropriate resolves sort of mental directions and he says they're unskillful ones and where do they cease they cease in the first jhana Mm-hmm. so they cease in this first jhana so the first jhana is, is where there's still, there is still an element of um, conceiving and articulate and you know the, the, the thought formulation hasn't stopped so there's still that sense of being able to con- conceive and yet it's it's it doesn't go into the unskillful it's a a wholesome state wholesome state not an enlightened state it's a wholesome state there's still still a clinging with it or depending I mean if an Aryan goes into first jhana there isn't but for most of us there will be some sense of me enjoying this or having gotten this or being in it and so forth so it's just the, the mind is now is very simply just ticking over in terms of its thinking just noticing what's going on feeling it, evaluating it very little verbalization going on so with this there just isn't the room or the, or the to, to concoct these elaborate thought formulations and because the mind is sitting in a place of peace and ease it doesn't go into the sour, the regretful, the guilty, the anxious. The hindrances have disappeared. So that's one way of considering the five hindrances, uh, the first jhana, the disappearance of the five hindrances. So, yeah, so that you know, the ending of unskillful resolves because these hindrances aren't present. Okay. Where does skillful resolve cease? <laughs> uh, what are skillful resolves? Resolves based on renunciation, non-will, and harmlessness. Skillful resolves caused by perception. So, as I said before, perception is the trigger for intention. You can look at resolve and intention as pretty similar. You know, Sankapara and Chaitanya are pretty similar. Chaitanya maybe has a as a further 
deeper sense than Sankapa. Sankapa tends to be more associated with the um, conscious articulation of the mind. So perceptions will trigger off resolves, trigger off intention. So any any renunciation perception, non-ill will perception, a harmless perception is the cause of skillful resolves or skillful intentions. Mind feels motivated, directed in a in a way that's wholesome. Where do these cease? Second jhana, these cease. In other words, what happens in second jhana is the vitaka vichara, the thought formulation, stops. So you can't resolve anything really. <laughs> you know, the, you know, that, that quality of consciously directing begins to relax. And it's more, more like an instinctive development of deepening in, if, you, if that process of samatha continues. It's more like an instinctive, intuitive deepening just through enjoyment rather than you know, directed. It's just like you know, just in enjoying, I would say enjoying and, and, and um, con- deeper contentment. So this is where these um, cease, stop. So you get the kind of some of the patterns of samatha and vipassana outlined in this. And the idea is that these two together mean that we can then um, open up the unskillful habits, the unskillful resolves can be acknowledged, touched, handled, um, brought to cessation. And it helps us to recognize cessation is not a negative, you know, get rid of. It, that's what may occur in terms of the unskillful. Also, you develop it in terms of the skillful. Say cessation, another way of looking at cessation is resting. So you're resting from the unskillful and you rest from the skillful. <laughs> and so for the enlightened one is neither skillful nor unskillful. They have no particular intention. There's no there's no program. If they're called upon to act, if there's an activity happening then what will arouse are skillful skillful actions that's what you know but uh, if they're not called upon to act then the whole thing the system can just rest into a a state that has no ethical disposition there's no no directive no um, no intention no intention so I'll stop there See if you have any questions about that. Mm